Welcome back to another episode of the Keep Your Pristine Podcast. It's Star again, here with Frank today to bring out episode 11, The Hidden Waterways of Toronto. Hey Frank. Hey dog, how's it going? Not too bad. It's good to have you. The weather's been beautiful lately with lots of summer-like temperatures and People are getting, there's also like lots of positive news on the pandemic front with increased vaccination rates and decreasing numbers of infection. What have you been up to lately? Yeah, I got my own vaccine a couple weeks ago and I highly encourage people to get their shot as soon as they can as we inch closer to normalcy. But yeah, nothing much with me. I've been, you know, with the weather being so nice lately, I've been doing a lot of biking near the Rouge River in Markham. So mm. It's very interesting having to explore some of the trails and get to know the other side of the city a bit more. Yep. No, um, it's funny because today I was actually hiking around the Rouge as well uh, with my coworkers. We're walking to different parts of the park and just, you know, um, just checking out nature. Sometimes it's good to get out and just enjoy the nature. Did you get to go to the lake? Um, yeah, we started from the lake and we drove to different parts of the park. Um, oh, and great. yeah, it's really nice, really nice day to be out. A little bit hot, but really nice day. So it, yeah, the weather is really nice. Um, it's really nice to get out and go for a walk. Um, but at the same time, also make sure to take proper precautions and socially distance when you still could. Today's episode, we will be looking into some of the hidden waterways of Toronto, which will have been paid over, filled in, or have been integrated into the storm surge network over the years. So we'll be making this into a small series of podcasts looking at various historical and current bodies of water in the greater Toronto area. So let's get started, Frank. All right. Toronto is a city of rivers and creeks throughout its urban history. Waterways has always played a pivotal role in the, how the city was established. With increased urbanization of the city, many of these waterways have been buried or paid over to make ways for development. It's super important to learn about these hidden waterways. Many of them are flooded during rainstorms, which end up causing major damage to people's basement and other properties. Without understanding the history, we can't make sufficient plans for the future. They also allow us to better plan the city and future flood events by tracking the path of these rivers. Additionally, by learning about the ravines and rivers that have been hidden away, this knowledge will allow us to connect with Toronto and further develop it into a more modern city. Let's talk about some of these hidden waterways. First, there is Garrison Creek. Garrison Creek was the largest creek in Toronto's early history, which was in the 17th to 18th century. It started just north of downtown Toronto, drained into Lake Ontario. Gerson Creek got its name because when the city of Toronto was still named the town of York, the creek entered Lake Ontario just east of Fort York, the military garrison for the region. It's said that during the early days of Toronto, the mouth of the creek was suitable for mooring a few small boats, which is interesting in my opinion. Uh, it goes to show how wide many of the creek once was. The creek had clear water and was famous for salmon fishing. Nowadays, the water is buried and no salmon can be found. For thousands of years, forests of pine, oak, and locusts covered the area along the creek and indigenous people hunted and traveled along. 
However, with the arrival of early European settlers, the creek changed. In the 1800s, much of the land around the creek was cleared for farm and with these new settlements, the creek began to suffer. By the early 1900s, settlements had become so dense and the creek became so polluted with sewage and refuse that building a sewage system became essential for public health reasons. And because of that, by the mid-1920s, the creek became completely buried. By the early 1900s, the stream was also diverted into the sewer system. During heavy storms, the sewer overload, resulting in sanitary sewage overflowing into the lake. Beaches became so polluted, and swimming in the lake became dangerous due to the contamination from the rainstorm. Yeah, and to add on to that timeline, subway construction along the Bloor-Danforth line in the 50s and 60s was a very long process in which residue and debris from tunneling was essentially dumped and further covered up the surrounding area. And by the mid-1900s, the creek was designated as an area of concern. And it wasn't until 1996 where the city of Toronto passed a resolution calling for the revitalization of the Garrison Creek ravine system. Beaches became polluted and swimming in the lake became dangerous because there were a lot of concerns, not just contamination from rainstorms, but a wide variety of environmental events. And with dumping and flooding, communities started raising their voices and protesting and those who lived near the creek's vicinity wanted to see parts of the ravine system restored, and they're still pretty vocal about it today. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Sometimes these changes can only happen when people come together to really fight for you know, the environment and you know, push for changes that's essential. So I, I hope something good come out of the ravine being restored eventually. Mm-hmm. And next up, we have Tattle Creek. Tattle Creek was also known as Little Dawn River and Brewery Creek. The reason it's called Brewery is because it was located near a former brewery. So nowadays, Tattle Creek is actually a very stream similar to Garrison Creek. So for those of you who are familiar with Toronto geography, it's actually a very stream that flows southeast from St. Clair Avenue, west of Backford Street, close to the University of Toronto. And the river flows into the harbor through section next to the distillery district. And the creek is really unique in that it was buried at different times. The section of the creek east of Church was buried before 1960s. From the section from Elizabeth to Church Street was buried sometime in 1866. And the University of Toronto section of the creek was buried in 1886. Mm-hmm. By the 1900s, the creek was actually converted similar to Garrison Creek. We see a pattern here. It was converted, just like Garrison Creek, into underground sewage. Currently, an outline of the park can actually be found as the public footpath Philosopher's Walk follows the ravine formed by Tattle Creek and starts in between the Royal Conservatory of Music and the ROM. There's also like a really small Tattle Creek Park. Is a really small but busy park in the annex area of Toronto. The park was created in 1976. It is a sculpture piece created from four kilometers of stainless steel rod, which was used to reflect the approximate length of Tattle Creek. And I've actually been to this tiny little park about three years ago during my master's program orientation. I got a tour by a group called the First Story. 
you know, different histories of Toronto, but mostly focusing on indigenous history. So we got taken to this park and they talk a little briefly about the history of Paddle Creek. Yeah, that's great. So just to give a bit of the listeners some context on where we're getting this information from, I'm looking at this source called the Disappearing Rivers Map, was Mm -hmm. created by the Lost Rivers Organization, which basically finds and compiles a list of lost waterways and encourages interest in natural historical heritage. They also do planned walks to the public on their website. Each individual waterway is summarized along with a legend for context. They provide a lot of information on not only hidden hydrological networks, but also settlement patterns. And they give a lot of nuance to the city's industrial development as a whole. Interesting. Yeah. So I highly recommend you guys check it out. Um, we'll put it in the description box in the podcast. The guided walks are currently not available due to COVID, but they do have three routes that could be done individually. The first one is Ashbridge's Bay. So that begins at Riverdale and ends at Woodbine Beach. Ashbridge's Creek Walk, which begins at a Catholic church that used to be the site of an oak forest and ends at a former estuary, term that environmental scientists are familiar with. Um, And now it's a sewage treatment plant due to years of depositing industrial waste. And again, like Doss said, kind of noticing a pattern here, you know, in terms of like economic activity and the built environment of Toronto's history over time. And then the last one is Tomlin's Creek, which also ends at the sewage plant, but this one starts at a public library. I believe it's near Main Street in the Danforth area. Um, mm. It contains remnants of an ancient glacial lake, Lake Iroquois, um, yeah. from the last ice age 13,000 years ago, and it was channeled into a sewer, but its uniqueness is attributed to the fact that it keeps re-emerging, mm. despite residential development. And these little mini resurgences are often mistaken as a runoff from a leaky hose or something from nearby houses. But upon Mm. closer examination, if you're in the area and you pay attention, you can see that there's algae forming along the side of the curb where the water flows, Mm. which kind of just goes to show that, you know, at the end of the day, nature prevails and you can't just simply pave over a hidden waterway expecting it to be part of the overall sewage network i was going to finish it by saying it goes to show that you just you just can't control nature yeah no it just goes to show that like everything we talked about like we can't really control nature and we shouldn't expect to control nature Uh, water is gonna go where they need to go no matter how hard and how much we try to control them and sometimes we need to know that nature needs to be respected Mm -hmm. and these rivers and subterranean underground water sources that end up being buried in sewage it's not a good idea because overloads the city's pipes and there's already that's already bad enough considering that the entire network gets overflowed every so often heavy rainstorm events and you know and like yeah and it's also connected to like underground water sources so covering them up makes it even even more difficult to access Mm -hmm. and it just makes the overall water quality really bad yeah, it's just like lots of questions that needs to be looked into. Uh, sometimes we take things for granted, but it's really important to examine these underlying issues. And like, it's also really important that we learn about these waterways as it really allow us to gain a better understanding of the geology of the city. Similar to some of the things you mentioned, Frank, having this knowledge and understanding can be helpful because it helps us improve weak areas in the city that were built centuries ago to better reflect and suit the modern infrastructure that we have right now. 
you know, learning about them can also help the citizens of Toronto connect with the natural regions of the city. It teaches us so many important lessons on what not to do <laughs> regards to the environment and how we should all be committed to the protection and preservation of these important places. And, you know, really know that we shouldn't be paving over rivers, but rather protect them because they are so essential to the places that we live and our mm-hmm. livelihood and everything. No, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think with increasing scarcity of water resources and, I mean, especially with Toronto, Mm because there's been so much infrastructure development lately, it's also contributing to forced relocation. And people, like Indigenous people, they relied on the rivers and local rivers and like waterways Mm -hmm. for their water supply. And they live right next to them. Now that they're like paving over, they don't really have access. And water supply has to be constantly redistributed a lot of inequalities result so yeah it's just a lot of questions to be asked about these different rivers and creeks that's been buried yeah it's also just like you mentioned so important to learn about them and this has been a really interesting topic to explore and talk about really and even doing the research was really fascinating goes to show that rivers and waterways are such an important part of toronto's identity and environment You know, many people might not realize it, but Toronto is a city of rivers and creeks. As we can see, humans have altered so much of the natural environment throughout history, and this has resulted in serious damage and destruction. As we can see, like, throughout Toronto, while development is such an important part of the city's growth, it's so important for us to also find a way to coexist with nature to ensure that there's that balance. Oftentimes, development tends to dictate the future which is not the right way to go about it. We should all work together to find that balance to ensure that we can build a more sustainable future. So I was looking at a CBC article the other day and they talked about a process called daylighting, which Mm. is essentially re-exposing hidden waterways and turning them into preserved areas. You just finished your master's in urban planning so yeah, I was just I wondering did. if you have any thoughts on how that could be like beneficial in terms of the environment, but also from an urban planning perspective. No, something of what you mentioned, daylighting, is something I heard about many years ago, actually. I have mm-hmm. heard about the process that is going through to showing, like digging up or like daylighting, <laughs> letting the rivers and creek that were buried to see the daylights again. I think that's a really important process um, because as we mentioned throughout today's podcast, a lot of these buried rivers and streams are causing major damage to people's basement. And from one of the previous episodes that we had on the sewage system in Toronto, it's really outdated and it has lots of problems. And just many, many issues that are associated with buried rivers and streams. And I think when we daylight these rivers and streams, it allows nature to follow their natural flow. It allows the rivers to flow where they're meant to be and go where they're meant to go. Mm-hmm. And it also reveal, like restores a lot of the balance in the ecosystem. Because when we bury these rivers, it takes away our habitats and homes for many species that you know used to call Toronto home. So by doing that, I think it goes a long way towards restoring the balance that we need, we need to have within the city. Mm-hmm. So I'm really happy that these projects are happening and I uh, hope more of them are happening throughout the city. So that's all for today's episode. 
So much of the information used for today's podcast was taken from the Lost River Walk. They're a really cool initiative that document the history of many waterways in Toronto. Their stated objective is to encourage understanding of the city as part of nature rather than apart from it, and to appreciate and cherish our heritage. And they do so many amazing work, like Frank mentioned earlier, the different walks that they do. They also are working towards creating a better appreciation of the city's intimate connection to its water system by tracing the courses of many of these forgotten streams by learning about our natural and built heritage and by sharing this information with each other. So be sure to check them out and donate to them if you can. Yeah, be sure to check them out and donate to them and let us know what you all think about the Lost Waterways in Toronto. Is there a Lost Waterway close to where you live? We would be interested in hearing your input and let us know if you have any suggestions for topics you want us to discuss in the future. We'll also be doing a series on the rivers and lakes of the GTA, so definitely stay tuned for that. That's all for today. Bye, everyone. See you on the next episode. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Keeping Pristine. Let us know if you have any suggestions or topics you want us to do in the future. We'll be sure to have more podcast content coming your way. Again, remember to stay in touch with the Pristine Blue Initiative team on social media. If you haven't already, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Remember, we're also available for listening on our website, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Until next time.